Before we begin our study, let's open in a word of prayer and remember those items. And again, being part of the body of Christ, we all have the opportunity to serve one another. There's many, many opportunities, and as God leads us, it's important to use the gifts God has given us for everyone. Everyone else needs to to have that gift exercised. And so let's bow in a word of prayer as we open up our, our time here. Heavenly Father, thank you again for saving us. Thank you for each one who's here this morning. Father, thank you for walking with us, waking up with us this morning. We know we have a purpose on this earth because you woke us up. Help us to be mindful of the opportunities with working with the ABLE group or any other ministry here that Lakeside has, that everyone would be using their gifts to bless others because there are so many opportunities. We only have one time to live on this earth, and that's now. And may we use it wisely. And we pray for Kathy Allman, her family. Just pray, Father, that you would provide her needs, and you will continue to work in her life with her family as well. Encourage her, Lord, to be beside her as we know you are. Pray, Father, as we look at your word this morning, teach us through your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the opportunity to look at your word together. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. While visiting my parents in Kansas earlier in June, I was reminded while driving around my hometown of the need to pay attention to the details of the road right in front of me. Because the roads contain what we all like to avoid called potholes. Not little surface crevices up to an inch deep, but I'm talking about the deep four to six inch holes that can blow a tire in a moment, whip the wheel so you end up in the ditch, or that rattling your fillings in your teeth while you hit your head on the ceiling of your car. And I think one or two of you maybe have experienced that as well. Well, the adventure of dodging potholes reminded me of the road of life and how we have to pay attention to the road we're on because those deep potholes can throw us off. They can make us swerve or lose control in a few seconds. We all face challenges, problems, and trials in our lives like job instability, relationships at home, car accidents, medical and surgery issues, financial crisis, worrying about material things that can not only cripple us personally, but in our relationship with others. Big potholes that can cause us to end up in a ditch. One such man faced a tough day as he describes it. This is entitled, Tough Day. We all have them. Some are worse than others. Like the one the hard-hat employee reported on his accident report when he tried to be helpful. When I got to the building, I found that the hurricane had knocked off some bricks around the top. So I rigged up a beam with a pulley at the top of the building and hoisted it up a couple barrels full of bricks. When I had fixed the damaged area, there were a lot of bricks left over. Then I went to the bottom and began releasing the line. Unfortunately, the barrel of bricks was much heavier than I was, And before I knew what was happening, the barrel started 
coming down, jerking me up. I decided to hang on, since I was too far off the ground by then to jump, and halfway up, I met the barrel of bricks coming down fast. I received a hard blow on my shoulder. I then continued to the top, banging my head against the beam and getting my fingers pinched and jammed in the pulley. When the barrel hit the ground hard, it burst its bottom, allowing the bricks to spill out. I was now heavier than the barrel. So I started down again at high speed. Halfway down, I met the barrel coming up fast and received severe injuries to my shins. When I hit the ground, I landed on the pile of spilled bricks, getting several painful cuts and deep bruises. At this point, I must have lost my presence of mind because I let go of my grip on the line. The barrel came down fast, giving me another blow on my head and putting me in the hospital. I respectfully request sick leave. That was a tough day. What do we do when those tough days come? The afflictions, the adversity, the giants come our way. God's Word gives us direction in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel 17. A familiar story, yet one filled with four steps to defeating the giants in our lives. We'll look at a familiar Bible figure who as a young man learned how to defeat the giants in his life. And over the next two weeks, this week and next week, we'll look at 1 Samuel 17 verses 3 to 49. And we'll uncover four steps to defeating the giants in our lives as we study the story of David and his literal giant, Goliath. 1 Samuel 17, beginning at verse 3. And the first step in defeating the giants in our lives is shared in verses 3 to 19. And here's that first step. Know that giants will come. Know that giants will come. The battleground So we look at this text as described beginning of verse 3 through verse 11 and follow with me as we read, as I read this. The Philistines stood on the mountain on one side while Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with the valley between them. Then a champion came out from the armies of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head. He was clothed with scale armor, which weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze. He also had bronze greaves on his legs and a bronze javelin slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and the head of his spear weighed 600 shekels of iron. His shield carrier also walked before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel and said to them, Why do you come out to draw up in battle array? Am I not the Philistine and you servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will become your servants. 
But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants and serve us. Again the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. That is the battleground that was going on. As was common in ancient times, the two opposing armies gathered on either side of the valley to try and intimidate each other. And often the actual battle would take place in the valley below. This battleground was in the valley of Elah, a few miles southwest of Jerusalem. Somewhere along the negotiations, and because both armies were intimidated by each other, it was determined that each army would send out their champion who would fight each other, and the winner would take all, so to speak. The Philistines send out their champion into the valley, Goliath from Gath, who stands at, some historians saying he was 9 9 or some say he was an even ten foot tall, as uh, others say. But either way, he was tall. He was a giant. He had on greaves, which are boots. Goliath wears a bronze helmet, and he's clothed with scale armor, a coat of armor weighing 125 pounds. He's armed with a bronze javelin. Seen those? We've seen those in the Olympics. And slung between his shoulders, long spear like a weaver's beam. And a weaver's beam was the top and bottom that held the weaver's loom in place. So that would make it at least 12 feet in length. And the iron tip of the spear weighed 15 pounds alone. We note Goliath has a shield carrier in front of him. So he's not even carrying the shield. He has someone else doing that as he walked into the valley to offer his challenge. It says here, Goliath shouts. That means he made a loud noise, kind of like a warlike cry, as he thought he had already defeated the enemy before they even would fight. So he shouts with arrogance. We note the Israeli army's reaction, as it said there in verse 11. What does it say? They were strong in the Lord. It says... They were dismayed and greatly afraid. Dismayed means they were broken and disabled, which is applied to the mind. They were intimidated. They were faint-hearted. They were alarmed. It's used in Joshua 1.9 as God encouraged Joshua, ready to take over for Moses. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. When a giant pothole, a giant problem comes our way, what can we do? I mean, here's this giant that's coming before the army. What are some things we can do? Can we take it to the Lord in prayer? Can we trust God's word when he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you? Can we seek counsel of other believers and ask for intercessory prayer? We pray for one another. There are many, many things we can do, but those are some of the options. Because in life, we will have giants come our way. It's inevitable. We live in a world 
I won't say full of giants because we don't see a lot of nine, nine or ten foot giants walking around, but I'm talking about all the physical and the, the mental and the spiritual issues that can seem like giants in our lives. Israel's army was not only dismayed, but they were greatly afraid, which means they were fearful, they were trembling in their boots. It's used earlier in 1 Samuel 4, 7, when the Philistines had taken the Ark of the Covenant after defeating them in an earlier battle. It says the Philistines were sorely afraid, for they said, Woe to us, for nothing like this has happened to us when they had handled the Ark of the Covenant. Goliath mocks the Israeli army coming out in battle array when he said it had already been negotiated and agreed that each side would send out their champion. From a human standpoint, this giant Goliath looks invincible. He looks undefeatable. The Israeli army in their battle uniforms are shaking in their boots as they search for a champion to represent them. Situations can overwhelm us. I remember May of 1992 while serving in the army as a chaplain during the L.A. riots. And God had given that opportunity for me to be in a battalion of 660 soldiers, mostly 18, 19-year-olds, infantry soldiers, fresh out of boot camp from Fort Benning. We were situated in Watts between two rival gangs. And as I talked and walked with them, Some who had grown up in L.A. said, Chaplain, I don't know if I can fire on those neighbors I grew up with. To them, this was a giant of a question for them. Thankfully, we never had engaged the fellow citizens of America in that setting. God was watching over. Giants like Goliath are everywhere and we can expect them. Most of you know, October 30, 2004, Carol and I turned down Betty Lane headed toward home when a van came at us at 80 miles an hour. And most of you, if you know anything about Betty Lane, they have about a six-inch curb on each side at that point at Drew and Betty Lane. We tried to get out of the way, couldn't get up the curb, and he hit us head on. That was a giant for us. God spared us. God's grace again. We don't know when those things are going to come up in our lives. It can be something real like that. It can be something of discouragement or worry. Anything that distracts us from serving God, those giants will come our way. Recently had an opportunity to visit with a Vietnam vet who shared how he feared going to sleep only to have another nightmare on how he was wounded on the battlefield and at first no one came to help him. He also shared how he had been poisoned. The after effects of serving in Vietnam is a giant Goliath for that veteran as he continues to work through that. When the giants come, we need to respond by knowing the Lord is near and be anxious for nothing, plus knowing it's another opportunity for God to display His power like He did through the prophet Elisha 
in healing Naaman's leprosy. As God displayed his power, we need to make sure that when he does, and he will, that he gets all the glory. Because he deserves it. When giants come into our lives, what are our options? We can run. We can ignore. We can handle in our own power. Or we can be like the army of Israel at this time, sorely afraid. Bible examples of those facing giants in the Old New Testament include Nehemiah. And rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem God said, I want you to head that up. And he was discouraged at first, but then he went and looked at it and he said, okay, we, with God's help with us, we will rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And was it accomplished? Yes, it was. Because God helped them to do it. Elisha being surrounded by an enemy who wanted to kill him in 2 Kings 6. Elisha knew God's army was there protecting him. And he said, God, please let my servant, my assistant see. And he looked again and he saw God's army all around, which is far more powerful than any human army. And then, of course, Paul, as he was left for dead after being stoned, In Acts 14, he must have really been beat up. But he kept going, even though that giant was there of staying alive. Even though he had been sorely beat up and they thought he was dead. So we need to trust God every day. When we wake up in the morning, God, thank you for waking me up. I've got a purpose because you woke me up here. Someday, maybe we'll wake up And we'll be in His presence. But either way, remember how Paul struggled with that. And he had so many giants facing him. I was thinking about this and studying this. I was reminded of what Joy Horton, she's in Wetumpka, Alabama at the prison there. She wrote this about her giants. It's entitled Prison Nights. As I lay awake in my prison bunk, am I the only one awake? My heart is eager, oh dear Lord, until morning. I can't wait. I really need to talk to you about something that's on my heart. I have so much to say to you, but Lord, where do I start? First, let me say thank you, Lord, for the life you have given me. Though I'm still in prison, Lord, my eyes are clear to see. This isn't the plan you had for me. You had greater things in store, but now I'm ready to follow you and choose to sin no more. Sometimes you teach us lessons, Lord. They can be a little hard. In order to see your light, O Lord, we must first flee from the dark. You spared my life so many times you saw the good in me, and though I was a filthy rag, your blood has washed me clean. Father, I come humbly before you. I'm down on bended knees, praying that you touch another life just as you have touched me. For those who may not know you, Lord, for those too blind to see, may they see your power and glory, and I love this, through the changes made in me. May God see a glimpse of Jesus in our lives. And here's how one man locked up in Pinellas County Jail 
handled the giants in his life. Name is Thomas. His yielded vessel. Lord, I'm asking you to intervene in these struggles that we face. We're in need of reinforcements from your glorious throne of grace. Because the road ahead looks rocky and the sky above looks gray and I know I cannot make it, Lord, unless you're there to lead the way. There are many times you stood by me and I'm sure you will again for when I truly put my trust in you, you will help my heart to mend. So teach me, God, to trust you more, to believe and not to doubt. Please set my feet on solid ground when I'm confused and tossed about. Help me not to fret or fear, to find peace amidst life's storms, and remind me there is refuge, Lord, in your everlasting arms. Restore my courage when it fails, and my strength each day renew. Increase my faith when it grows weak, and give me a brighter view. And should I start to feel defeated, help me to look up instead of down. When impatience overtakes me, God, teach me to smile and not to frown. Now I know it seems I'm asking a lot, but I believe you'll see me through. Because what is impossible down here is not even hard for you. So I'd like to thank you in advance for you sending help my way. Make, me, make of me a yielded vessel, Lord. In Jesus' name, I humbly pray. I don't know what to add to that. But we need to be his yielded vessel when these giants come our way. Now in verses 12 to 19, the story continues as David enters the picture, beginning at verse 12. Now David was the son of the Ephraite of Bethlehem in Judah, whose name was Jesse. And he had eight sons, And Jesse was old in the days of Saul, advanced in years among men. The three older brothers of Jesse had gone after Saul to the battle. And the names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and the second to him, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. David was the youngest. Now the three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's flock at Bethlehem. The Philistine came forward morning and evening for forty days and took his stand. Then Jesse said to David his son, Take now for your brothers an ephah of the roasted grain and these ten loaves and run to the camp to your brothers. Bring also these ten cuts of cheese to the commander of their household. And look into the welfare of your brothers and bring back news of them. For Saul and they and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. Story continues here as David enters the picture. And here's briefly the background. It says uh, Jesse, his father, was old. I don't know what old means nowadays. That could be, what, some people think 30s old. I don't know what 60 is, so that must be double old. But whatever was old, he was up in his age. David had seven brothers. Three brothers, we're told, were in the Israeli army. 
And they're in battle array every day, hearing the challenge Goliath bellowed out to them. David is the youngest of the eight sons of Jesse. And as I was studying this, I thought of the Awana song, Comes to Mind, Only a Boy Named David. I won't sing it. But those of you who have heard that, he had a sling, didn't he? And he knew how to use it because God guided every rock that came out of that sling in more than one occasion. But we note here in verse 15, David went back and forth from being an armor bearer for King Saul and watching his father's sheep in Bethlehem. Plus, David's harp was giving King Saul some relief because he had an evil spirit hounding him. According to chapter 16, verse 23, the previous chapter, it says, So it came about whenever the evil spirit from God came to Saul, David would take the harp and play it with his hand, and Saul would be refreshed and be well, and the evil spirit would depart from him. David being a sheep herder part-time, that wasn't an easy job. I looked into everything involved in being a sheep herder. And the main responsibility of sheep herder was for the safety and welfare of the flock. And some flocks had up to a thousand sheep to keep track of. A sheep herder grazed the animals. He herded them into good areas for them to eat. But he also had to keep an eye out for poisonous plants and protect them from lions, bears, and other animals who like to have sheep for dinner. It's one of those jobs that are often unnoticed unless you've got a problem. But David's father, Jesse, sends David on a mission. He's to take some roasted grain, ten loaves, and ten cuts of cheese and bring them to the commander of Israel's army and check how his brothers are doing. And once you find out, David, I want you to come back and give me a report. It's interesting here, Jesse wasn't getting up-to-date reports. No CNN, no Fox News, no emails, no Facebook in those days. And we discover at the end of verse 19, a very interesting end of that verse, it says... For Saul and they and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah, what are they doing? Fighting with the Philistines? What have they been doing? They hear Goliath come out and challenge and defy the God of Israel and Israel's army. What does it say? They were shaken in their boots and they ran from the presence of Goliath. So not a lot of fighting going on. A lot of challenging going on from Goliath, that giant who thinks it won't be any problem to defeat Israel's champion. But Israel's army had been running away. They were sorely afraid. They were discouraged. They were dismayed. So the first step in defeating the giants in our lives is no giants will come. They will come. Now we come to step two in defeating the giants in our lives in verses 20 through 30. Step two, face them head on, don't run. Face them head on, don't run. 
Follow along, beginning of verse 20. So David arose early in the morning, left the flock with the keeper, took the supplies and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the circle of the camp while the army was going out in battle array, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines drew up in battle array, army against army. Then David left his baggage in the care of the baggage keeper, ran to the battle line and entered in order to greet his brothers. And as he was talking with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine from Gath named Goliath was coming up from the army of the Philistines. And he spoke these same words and David heard them. When all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him. They were greatly afraid. Men of Israel said, have you seen this man who is coming up? Surely he's coming up to defy Israel. And it will be that the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Then David spoke to the men who were standing by him saying, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God. The people answered him in accord with this word, saying, Thus it will be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger burned against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart, for you have come down in order to see the battle. But David said, what have I done now? Was it not just a question? Then he turned away from him to another and said the same thing. And the people answered the same thing as before. Face the giants head on. Don't run. We see David obeyed his dad. The mission to bring provisions to the battlefront. We know he arose early, headed out to the front line of the battleground. As he arrives at the Valley of Elah, David observes the two armies in battle array. In other words, they were not only dressed in their battle uniforms, but they were in formations to do battle. David goes where the soldiers' camp was, and he sees both armies in formation on either side of the valley. Likely the infantry in the front, archers behind them, and those on horseback behind them, all awaiting orders as to whether and when the battle would begin. It says in verse 20, both armies were shouting the war cry. Hua is a common phrase of the military. Or, we're tough, or... You're ours. Make your move. Whatever they were shouting. That makes me wonder what Israel's army was saying as they were sorely afraid. Heard this for 40 days and they're running. What was their war cry like? Verse 22, David leaves his baggage with the baggage keeper. Likely David left the provisions he had with the mess sergeant and he heads to the front. David, in verse 23, is talking with his three brothers. Here comes Goliath. Remember what he had said back in verses 8 to 10. He was defying not only the armies, but defying 
the living God who is behind those armies. David heard them, according to verse 23, as Goliath defied God. The word defy means to scorn, to hold in contempt, to mock, to think unworthy of Israel's army and God who stood behind it. When giants come our way, what are our options? What are they? Turn to God first? Try and work it out ourselves or give up and run? David heard the giant's words and he didn't run. But he faced the giant head on. The Israeli army turned around and fled from the giant. David doesn't. David wants to make sure he heard right and he further asks and discuss with the soldiers what would be done to the person who killed this uncircumcised Philistine. The one who taunts the armies of the living God. And I think that's important to note. Armies of the living God. Because that's a contrast to the Philistines who had many non-living gods that they worshipped. Their chief god, Dagon, was the god of fertility and crops. It was only an image, not like the living God of Israel. Verse 28, the green streak of jealousy creeps in with David's oldest brother, Eliab. And what happens there in verse 28? Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. He's seeing David talking to the men. And Eliab's Anger burned against David. And he said, why have you come down? Whom have you left a few sheep in the wilderness? And here, I know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart, for you have come down in order to see the battle. You just want to see what's going on, David. You're not tending the sheep. Jealousy. John Wesley comments on this phrase. I like how he puts it when he talks about the wickedness of your heart, as, as this older brother seems to know about David. As Eliab berated David, wickedness, naughtiness of heart, see the folly and wickedness of envy. How groundless its jealousies are. How unjust its censures. How unfair its representations. God preserve us from such a spirit that we're seeing here in that older brother. How do we battle envy or jealousy? And I'm not going to ask anybody to raise hand, but we all battle that at some time in our lives, some of us daily. How do we battle it? What do we do? Any ideas? What's the first thing we need to do? Confess it. Admit it as sin. And then we need to Try to overcome it in our own? No? What do we do? Pray. Turn it over to God. Ask God for victory over it. And then every day pray to have victory over it. So that it doesn't become something that, that overcomes us in our lives. And praise God for what we do have. Praise God for what we do have. Because we are so blessed, aren't we? If we started listing everything God has blessed us with, 
I think we'd have endless time to keep doing that because there's so many things God has blessed us with. Not only things, but our brothers and sisters that God saved us out of His grace. And I think one of those things we, when we battle envy and jealousy, allow ourselves to be humbled. I know that's one I battle. We rejoice with those who rejoice, truly rejoice. Oh, God bless them with a new car. Rejoice with them. Say, wow, I wish I had one like that. Rejoicing with those who rejoice. Someday we're going to have to leave everything here on earth, right? And you've heard it before, no U-Hauls in heaven. You can't take any of that junk with us. We wouldn't want to anyway. Too many material things bog us down, don't they? God meets our needs. In fact, He blesses us even more. But we need to be thankful for everything He gives us because it's all on loan anyway. Remember what the armies of Israel, including Eliab, had been doing every time the giant Goliath came down on his side of the valley, came down into the valley. What had they been doing? Standing strong. Running. Running away. Dismayed. Sorely afraid. David, on the other hand, faced the giant problem head on. He didn't run away. Verse 29, David is seemingly wondering, what did I do now? I got a rebuke from my oldest brother. All I'm doing is asking, what's going on? Why is everybody running away? This man's defying not only the Israeli army, but the living God who stands behind it. And everybody's running for cover. And all I did was ask about it. It's because his brother was battling that envy and jealousy that David wasn't running away. Giants in our lives need to be faced head on. And that's not easy. We shouldn't run away from them. When we fear, when we're sorely afraid, we're already defeated. Because as we are reminded in Ephesians chapter 6 of the armor of God, now let's look over at that. Because that's important here that we're reminded of this. In Ephesians six ten through 17, the armor of God. Here's what we need to be doing. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day when the giants come and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Talks taking up the shield. When you're running away, you can't have the shield up, can you? 
You can't be running like here and be putting the shield back this way. You've got to be facing the giant with that shield in place. And who helps us hold up the shield? God does. Sometimes, most of the time, every time. Our confidence has to be in God. Again, I'm not going to sing this song, but there's a Christian song called Confidence. I'm not a warrior. I'm too afraid to lose. I feel unqualified for what you're calling me to. But Lord, with your strength, I've got no excuse because broken people are exactly who you use. So give me faith like Daniel in the lion's den. Give me hope like Moses in the wilderness. Give me a heart like David. Lord, be my defense so I can face my giants with confidence. Being misunderstood is very common when we face the giants in our lives. But listen to 1 Samuel 16:7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And that was as Samuel was seeking the next king for Israel, which was going to be who? David. So this week, this morning, we've studied the first two steps in defeating the giants in our lives. Step 1, verses 3 to 19. Know that giants will come. Know that giants will come. Step 2, verses 20 to 30. Face them head on. Don't run. Next week we'll uncover the final two steps to take in defeating giants that come our way in life. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father God, some days we're just so overwhelmed. Seems like there's giants coming out of every corner. What may be a, a giant to us maybe isn't a giant to others, but Lord, we know they're going to come our way. And we know we need to face them with the shield of faith. But you give us and you help us to hold up. Help us not to run away. Help us to look to you first and you alone because it's by your grace you saved us. We thank you again for salvation. And Father, may those of us facing giants even today, may we be encouraged to know that with your strength all things are possible, that we don't have to run away, we don't have to flee, but we look to you as we'll see even next week of what David did. Thank you for the example of David. Thankful that that he served you. May we serve you as well. And Father, today, even as we have divine opportunities and appointments you've set up for us, help us to be a witness. Help us to share the gospel. That you're the author and finisher of our salvation from beginning to end. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.